Welcome to UU Akron ServiceCast, brought to you by the Unitarian Universalist Church of Akron, a loving and welcoming community for all. If you would like more information about Unitarian Universalism or our community, please visit us at uuakron.org. The following recording is from the January 29, 2017 service titled, A Way Out of No Way, led by Rev. Tim Temerson and Elizabeth Riley. For centuries, oppressed people have found hope and strength in an understanding of God as liberator. We will explore this image of God and ask how it might inform our own commitment to peace and social justice. Friends, we begin this morning with some words from David Pohl. We come to this time and this place to rediscover the gift of free religious community, to renew our faith in the holiness, the goodness, and the beauty of life, to reaffirm the way of the open mind and the loving heart, to rekindle the flame of memory and hope, and to reclaim the vision of an earth made fair and just with all her people living as one. Come, let us worship together. Now, friends, as our service begins, Elizabeth is going to offer our chalice lighting words, and Molly is going to light our flaming chalice. These words are adapted from John Beckett. We light this chalice today as a vessel of service and transformation to recommit ourselves to the ideals of justice, equity, and compassion in human relations and in solidarity with those who are anxious, vulnerable, and oppressed throughout the land and throughout the world. Let there be light, give light, and people will find the way. The reading from Matthew chapter 25 and verses 34 through 40. Come, you that are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you. And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Thank you, Elizabeth, for your help today. It's been wonderful, as I said a minute ago, you did the readings this morning with so much heart, and I appreciate it, and my heart's in the same place today. 
Well, it's good to see you all today. Thanks for coming. I'm not sure what's going on in the world, but our attendance numbers seem to be up lately. So, I'm really happy about that. Not totally happy about what's going on in the world. Not really happy at all about that, but it's really good to see you all today. And again, I just have to give a shout out to that fabulous um, play we had from the coming of age class, which still has me giggling a little bit, but because it was so wonderful. Um, I mean, it really was. Yeah, if you want to clap, clap. I mean, it was terrific. So absolutely. So um, what a wonderful contribution that was to today's service. And I have Elizabeth to thank for. She's one of the coming of age leaders and she brought it to the class and they were excited to do it. And so just thanks all the way around for that. So and the reason that we invited the youth to tell us the Exodus story today is that that story is the inspiration for a powerful and important way of understanding God, a way that has offered hope and courage to oppressed peoples everywhere. Although this understanding of God has been given a very formal name in recent years, you heard Elizabeth mention it, liberation theology, it has really been the cornerstone of, faith, of the faith commitments of so many in our world for so long, who, as the great African-American spiritual writer and mystic Howard Thurman once said, those who live with their backs against a wall. Now, today's sermon marks the second in a series I'm doing this year on the topic of God. Last fall, we kicked off things with a sermon about how Unitarian Universalists have come to understand God and the role that God plays in our tradition. That sermon tried to make the case that we use generally come together around a set of shared ethical principles and values rather than one single understanding about the existence or nature of God. So while we certainly welcome and learn from belief in God and derive great truth and meaning from different theological ideas, I think it's fair to say that Unitarian Universalism puts ethical values and principles first and theology second. But when I think about and reflect on where those principles and values that we Unitarian Universalists hold dear, where those values come from, principles and values like the dignity and worth of every person and the absolute and uncompromising importance of justice and equality, compassion and peace, I'm invariably drawn back to that same vision of God that has offered hope and inspiration to those with their backs against a wall. A vision of a creator of boundless and universal love who demands justice and liberation for all people and especially for those who are poor and oppressed. Now, as you saw, the Exodus story begins, as so many stories in the, wor in the world's religions do, with a single man who has an unexpected and life-changing experience. That man, of course, is Moses. And Moses sees an extraordinary sight, a bush that is engulfed in flames, but that somehow does not become consumed by those flames. 
he then hears a voice commanding him to take off his shoes, for he is standing on holy ground. Moses, of course, a little uncertain about what's going on and wondering if he's indeed hearing the voice of God. Then God speaks and explains to Moses that he, pardon the gender exclusive language here, God explains that he has returned because I have seen the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry and I know their suffering. And I have come to deliver them from the Egyptians, deliver them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Finally, as you saw, God concludes by telling Moses that he, Moses, has been chosen to go to Pharaoh in order to liberate the Israelites. The rest of the Exodus story is undoubtedly familiar to many of you, and our youth did a wonderful and very creative job of reminding us of the details. After Pharaoh rejects Moses' demands to let my people go, ten terrible plagues are inflicted on the Egyptians until Pharaoh finally relents. The Israelites make a narrow escape from the land of Egypt, and after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, They arrive in the promised land of freedom and liberation. Now, when we Unitarian Universalists listen to stories like this one from sacred texts, sometimes our first instinct is to often ask and say, well, wait a minute, is this true? Did this really happen? Well, the simple answer, of course, is that we don't actually know what happened. To this point, I will tell you, using our good scientific hats, that there is no, that I'm aware of, any archaeological evidence that an exodus of thousands of people from Egypt to Israel ever took place, nor is there any sort of written historical record to suggest that people from the land of Canaan, which is where the Israelites were from, had ever been enslaved in Egypt. So does that mean the exodus story is a myth that we should just simply reject out of hand? Well, I want to make the argument today that the did it actually happen question really misses the point because although we cannot be sure that the Exodus story is literally true, we can be certain that it contains great moral and religious truth. Truth that has given the poor and oppressed hope in the midst of despair and truth that challenges each and every one of us to resist an immoral and unjust status And what has given those whose backs are against the wall so much hope is the God of the Exodus story, a God who hears the cries of the oppressed, a God who is moved by sympathy and compassion for their plight, and a God who makes a way out of no way by liberating them from bondage. Now, as I reflect on the Exodus story, I imagine that before Moses saw the burning bush, the Israelites must have wondered if God had abandoned them. But as the story reveals, God does not abandon those who are oppressed and systematically held down or held back. Rather than remaining some distant deity who ignores injustice in the plight of oppressed peoples, 
The God of, of the Israelites demonstrates that he is a God of justice and righteousness who stands in solidarity with those whose backs are against the wall. And God's commitment to and demand for justice and liberation didn't end once the Israelites were liberated and arrived in the promised land. God didn't hang up a sign when it comes to justice and said, gone fishing, see you later. Not at all. In fact, throughout the Hebrew Bible, God sides with the oppressed and demands justice for those who are abused and exploited. Think for a moment about the powerful words of the prophets of the Hebrew Bible. They continually warn about the consequences of mistreating the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the immigrant, the refugee. They argue that God cares little for fancy festivals or temple sacrifices, and that what God demands is a world in which, as the most famous words in the prophetic book says, in which Dr. King quoted over and over again, a world in which justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty and ever-flowing stream. That's what the God of the Hebrew Bible demands. And as you heard in our first reading, the God of justice and liberation is also given voice and witness by Jesus of Nazareth in the Christian Bible, or what is often called the New Testament. Think for a moment about how Jesus lived and who he ministered to. Jesus breaks one boundary and barrier after another by reaching out to the poor, the unclean, the rejected, and the outsider. And in that wonderful passage that Elizabeth read for us, Jesus clearly says that God cares most about the least of these and demands that we give food to those who hunger and drink to those who thirst, that we welcome the stranger, care for the sick, clothe the naked, and visit those who are imprisoned. And in perhaps the clearest and most profound statement of the intimate connection between the divine and the oppressed that I think I've ever read in any sacred text, Jesus states unequivocally that when we feed the hungry or welcome the stranger, we are feeding and welcoming God. The stranger, the hungry, the poor, that's God. Now, I got to pause here for a moment to say a word about one of those divine commands that I just mentioned, a command that's found throughout the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament, that of welcoming the stranger. Now, over the past 24 hours, what a 24 hours it has been, we have seen immigrants and refugees from certain countries banned from our shores including those fleeing some of the most terrible violence and persecution. In addition, many are being banned because of their religion. And there's actually serious talk of creating a registry for Muslims. Folks, I never ever imagined that I would have to stand at this pulpit and denounce such practices but I'm sorry to say that's the world that we now live in. 
So let me just say this. Any reading, any reading of the Bible, the same Bible that many in this nation believe in with all their hearts and look to for guidance, any reading of those scriptures makes clear that the kind of actions that have been taken in the last few days are an absolute affront to God and they must be resisted. Now, there can be little doubt that the God of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures is indeed a God who sides with the poor and the oppressed, the widow and the orphan, the refugee and the immigrant, the lost and the lonely. This God makes clear in no uncertain terms that there is, as liberation theologians have come to term it, a preferential option for the poor. Meaning that while God loves the whole human family, there is that special bond, a special demand to liberate and stand in solidarity with the least of these. James Cone, a wonderful, the founder of African-American liberation theology, this is the way he puts it so simply but eloquently. If theology and religion do not side with the poor, they simply cannot speak for God, for God is a God of the poor. And that God has, as I said earlier, been the source of hope and courage for countless generations who have been poor and enslaved and abused and oppressed and treated as if their lives don't matter. Howard Thurman, who I mentioned earlier, tells a wonderful and powerful story about his grandmother, who herself had been born a slave. When he was a boy, Grandma Nancy would tell young Howard about the slave preacher that she heard when she was a girl who continually reminded his flock that Jesus himself had been one of them, that all who were held in slavery were not the degraded and vile beings the slave masters called them. And that each and every one of them was indeed a child of God. Thurman recounts when Grandma, Mary would, uh, Grandma Nancy would tell this story, how his whole body would shake and quiver and how he would be given the strength he needed to return to the world of segregation and oppression, knowing that although his back was against the wall, that he was a person of dignity and worth, a person loved and cherished by God, and understood and loved by Jesus. And that same understanding of a God who stands in solidarity with the poor, the enslaved, and those whose backs are against a wall, that same understanding was certainly at the center of Dr. King's vision of a beloved community. Listen to these words that he said that I put, some of, some of which I put in your order of service. I'll read them all to you now. He said, there is a creative force in this universe working to pull down gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays 
into bright tomorrows. Yeah, that's the vision that I'm kind of hanging on to right now. I have to remind myself of it every time I turn on CNN, it seems. Before I close, let me say a word about this God of liberation theology and this faith, Unitarian Universalism. As I mentioned earlier, we UUs have come to a place of great theological pluralism and diversity. We have numerous ways of understanding God. But as you heard in that reading from the great Unitarian preacher Theodore Parker, I think it's fair to say that we have always affirmed our faith in a universe of ultimate morality and justice. A universe whose moral arc is indeed very, very long, but that is always always bending and aiming towards justice. Of course, we don't think or believe that the arc bends automatically or on its own. Rather, the moral arc of the universe bends because people like Moses and the Hebrew prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, Gandhi, Dr. King, Mother Teresa, Howard Thurman, Grandma Nancy, you and me, The ark bends because we find and have the courage and the conviction to stand up, to speak out, and to bend that ark towards justice. So friends, that's the question and the challenge the God of the oppressed, the God of liberation theology poses to all of us. Will we step out of our comfort and our privilege to bend the arc of the moral universe? Will we stand with the oppressed, the poor, the excluded, the marginalized, and the stranger? Will we demand an end to any effort to ban people or force them to register because of their religion? Will we speak out when excessive force is used by law enforcement, including right here in our own community, which happened just this past week in Akron, when I'm so sorry to say that a police canine was unleashed on an unarmed African-American man. Friends, let me simply conclude by saying that whether or not you believe in a God of liberation or, in a moral, or you believe in a moral universe with an arc that bends towards justice, there's no question that we are at a moment in our nation's history when people of conscience and conviction are being called to stand in solidarity with those who are being victim- victimized and marginalized. We can hear the cries of the oppressed, and I fear they will only grow louder in the weeks, months, and years to come. So we can and we must heed those cries and do our part to bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice and to do what we can, everything we can, to transform these dark days into bright, beautiful, and blessed tomorrows. Thank you so much for listening, and blessed be. We thank you again and encourage you to seek us out on Facebook and Twitter or to come see us on Sunday mornings at 1030. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or however you listen. To learn more about our commitment to building the beloved community or to find ways to connect, visit us at uuacron.org.